podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Then in the next line, should England be paying more respect? So, I hear you calling. Oh, baby, please. Give a little respect. As sung by international T20 cricket to England, who don't give a fuck after winning the World Cup. Right. Um, I didn't know where you were going with that. I don't know whether I like your first song or your second song better. It was earlier, you definitely sang Respect by Aretha Franklin. Um, Uh, No, it was by Wagner. In uh, 2009. Uh, made, famous, made famous by Aretha Franklin, destroyed <laughs> by Wagner on x in 2009. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Slogging It. Now, not Mambo number five. What? Not Mambo number five. That's how the Mambo number five started, wasn't it? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mambo number five. <laughs> yeah, was that, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good <laughs> reference from <laughs> <to> you. <laughs> I, didn't, I had no idea where you were going with that. That's, that was, I was that's just going to say it, but I thought I'd cut you off. That was brilliant, unlike both of your efforts at singing a song tonight, which were both appalling. We're at least a week late, aren't we, Eugene? Yes. It's for you. Can, yes. Do you care to explain to people why, when Simon and I were just gearing ourselves up for recording, Simon had thought of a song, we're, what, 90 minutes away from our weekly slot, and then we get a text message from you, don't we? Luckily, you were allowed out from under the thumb to send us said text message. Y- yes, that's correct. I had to make a very strategic decision about a dinner that was put into the diary that I did not see until I was asked, am I going to get ready and get dressed? To which I asked... Yes, I will. All of a sudden, I'm now very grateful because we could have had a naked recording with Eugene going off by the sound of it, and I am not. I was not ready for that. Well, I, I did. Know. I, I did get the. I did get the. It was. Uh, it's been in the diary for weeks. You should know about it. So, I, yeah, I do remember it. Sorry, I was just getting comfortable on the couch. And so. Wow, <laughs> completely bollock. Yeah. <laughs> the worrying thing is talking of naked Eugene tonight. We're here to talk about. Something that means we might actually have to be, we might be exposed to that in the coming weeks. Sorry. Oh, okay. (laughs) No, it's not that kind of podcast, Simon. There is a new, there is a new thing on on Netflix I saw today called The Money Shot, which apparently is about the adult industry. So I'll be, I might be partaking of that later on before I go to bed. (laughs) What, the adult industry or the the program? (laughs) The program. About both, said adult industry. Anyway, (laughs) we digress. We digress. So, yes, Eugene let us down last week, so that is why it's taken us a little longer than usual to come back to you tonight. Now, we're very excited about this because we've kind of been teasing you for, I mean, what feels like months, really. We, we've had this in the locker for a while since we've decided to do this. But tonight it is time to formally announce. Formally? That's not a word. Formally announce, slogging it, walk the ashes. We are walking the ashes, and this tonight, we are going to actually go a little bit more in depth, talk to you about why we're doing it, where we're doing it, how you guys can get involved, sponsors, other partners, and so on and so forth. But yeah, it's something that the three of us are extremely excited about. Now, I wouldn't be doing the honourable gentleman the correct level of service if I didn't introduce... I'm in the Rhino Roberts. Have I got that wrong? No. Yes. Um, Buffalo Berger and Rhino Roberts, isn't it? Because, Simon, this was your idea. Do you want to explain where this came from? The kind of less strange and weird part of my mind that doesn't think of 19 songs to do with respect before we start a podcast. I've always wanted to do a charity thing. It actually goes back to when I was going through some slightly more tough times and one of my coping things was to give myself targets and give yourself something to a like a challenge to do and that was come across in many different forms throughout the years and this is something that 
seems to have, I mean, I thought it was at the right time. It was at the right time until my wife decided to tell me she was pregnant. And then, so now there's a little bit more pressure on it, but that's, I wasn't, that wasn't. <laughs> the crowd went wild. Thank you, mate. That's Sounds like Anfield a week last Sunday. <laughs> yes, Johnny. And completely the opposite to your house a week last Sunday. Shut up. <laughs> um, Toby Tarrant couldn't have been quicker on the text message to me, by the way, that day. Was that when it was one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven nil? No, to be fair to him, he did leave me alone until the Monday and then absolutely hammered me about it. So, yeah, basically, I wanted to do a challenge for charity. We we'd provisionally sort of spoke with Mark about doing a bike ride. I mean, the thought of having one of you pair on the back of a bike that I'm trying to pedal absolutely petrified me. Especially now Eugene's meniscus is in a bit of trouble. <laughs> You'd be doing all the pe- I don't know if that was something to do with the dinner last week or what, but but no. So yeah, we I came up with this kind of road concept of let's walk between the ashes grounds. I originally did it as a let's go to every day of the cricket as well. And then the women got involved. <laughs> the better halves <laughs> got involved. And, and that uh, quickly cut off a- Yeah, the flag was on the way to the pole. However, in, the, in American terms, the flag got whipped upside down and a surrender was made early doors. So, yeah, we've, we're doing it sort of uh, the dates between the test matches. So as soon as the test, matches fin- test match finishes, we'll be at the ground or we'll head to the ground, depending on time frames and things like that, which I know John is going to go into in a bit with the dates and things. Some of the bits we're going to have to do in relays, there was a very contentious plan to each having to walk 65 miles a day for three consecutive days. That we have spoken to some professional people who organise these types of charity fundraisers, and they've been involved with the BBC and the stuff that they do, and they've basically said you will die yeah. if you try and do that. And as entertaining as I'm sure some of our listeners may well find that, mm. mainly our women, I think. Main, yeah, I mean, my, when my wife heard about that, she did check my death in service at work <laughs> thing to find out if I still received the suitable remuneration for dying whilst being a dick. So, so yeah, so when we do Lords Tabs HQ, which is London to Edgbaston, Edgbaston back to Lords to Headingley in three days, that's one that's going to be a bitch. Then Headingley to Old Trafford, and then Old Trafford back to the Oval, and then with a little bit of a final to Tabs HQ, where hopefully we're greeted by large amounts of ale and some physiotherapists. We're hopefully going to get to watch a little bit of cricket. And then, yeah, that it's all to raise as much money as we can. We've got a few targets that we've sort of internally set. And like I said, since my original plan was to try and raise a thousand pounds, if I'm honest, and then the tabs got involved and things like that. And it's, it seems to be gathering speed. So, mm. so yeah, it's just, it should, it should be a good event and we want people to get involved and we'll be bashing stuff out on social media. Jono's going to give a bit more information on that because that's why he's frowning at me now because I'm apparently stealing his job. And so, yeah, but, and, we're all doing it. We're all. I think it's about 625 miles we end up doing over 22 days. The one thing you did forget, Robert, was that the reason that we're doing this is for the Lord's Taverners and how they empower young people through cricket. And I suppose, I mean, look, tabs are massively important to us, right? From our perspective, empowering young people with disabilities and they come from disadvantaged backgrounds is something that we're passionate about. So from our perspective, we want to try and raise as much money on this walk as possible. Some of it will be through organic donations from you guys that are listening. We are going to have a text to give number with a different code to TAVS11 for, for obvious reasons, because we want to be able to track it and see how much money that we've raised. We're also going to have a different just giving page compared to the one that we've got right now. So we will be launching that in the next week. By the time this pod comes out, I'm sure it'll be live. And effectively, we just want to make sure that we give you guys the opportunity to come and join us. So I'm sure Jono will talk a little bit more detail about the, the route I know Rob has given a brief summary on it in terms of what we're doing, but the dates would be good, Jono, to make sure that we understand what dates people can come and join us on. Robbo and Brief have never been put in the same sentence before, ever. <laughs> Other than doesn't wear any. Yeah, and maybe if you ask his wife. Come in to get my phone off me. <laughs> Hi, Becky. So, as Eugene quite rightly says, look, the reason we love the tabs, we love everything about the tabs, the, what they do, what they're about as a charity, the way that they help people, as the boys allude to, young people from either disadvantaged backgrounds or those living with disability, and the way that they not only empower them, but the way that they empower them through cricket, which is obviously something we're also incredibly passionate about. So, six walks, five tests, the last walk being, as Simon says, from the Oval back to Tabs HQ. So, it's roughly, we reckon, about 670 miles, give or take, over 22 days. So 
here are the dates. We leave Tabs HQ, Chantry Lane, Central London, on the 12th of June. And we arrive at Edgebaston on the morning of day one, which is the 16th of June. Now, we this has been designed around all tests going to five days, basically. But And the amount of time that it's going to take us to complete the walks to arrive on the first morning of the first day's play. That That is how we're going to do it. So 24th, we leave Edgebaston and arrive at Lords on the 28th of June. 3rd of July, we leave Lords and get to Headingley on the 6th. That's three days of walking, roughly 197 miles over three days. I'll come back to that in a minute. 17th to the 19th of July, we walk from Headingley to Old Trafford. 24th to the 27th of July, we walk from Old Trafford to the Oval. And then at the end of the final fifth test, we will walk from the Oval, I think roughly three miles to the Tabs HQ again in Chantry Lane, hopefully for a glass of something alcoholic and bubbly. (laughs) Something isotonic. (laughs) Hopefully a Lucas Aid Sport or maybe a glass of Prosecco or something. Yeah. So is that like the weirdest? That's a weird oh, turbo shandy. No, nah, what's that when you have on Christmas morning? Well, mimosas or whatever you call them, right? Yeah, it's a mimosa. We don't call yeah. them that, but yeah, Buxford. You, you call them? Oh, Buxford. The last time you were drinking mimosas, you got in a right load of trouble, which probably ended up with you going to that sodden dinner that you didn't want to go to <laughs> last week. Anyway. Yeah, maybe remember it. <laughs> so the. When I said I'd come back to it, there are two routes where, due to time restrictions, we're not able to walk the entire route ourselves. So we can't physically walk almost 200 miles each over three days. That's been done based on medical advice, as Simon alluded to. We've got some kind of pretty heavy-hitting professionals involved in this and helping us plan it. They just said, it's look, you're going to cause yourself serious injury if you try and walk 65 miles a day back-to-back for three days. So on that route and also from the oval to sorry old trafford to the oval what we're going to do is walk the entire route but in relay so we will walk either 20 or 25 miles per day but let's say i start then eugene does leg two and then simon does leg three on those two things so in in totality we walk the entire trip between us it's just we would have loved to do it all we would have loved to do 670 miles each it's just impossible unfortunately so how can you guys get involved? Now, we don't want to do hotels. Although it'd be really comfortable, we need a bit of flexibility around kind of how we're feeling, this and the other, and the points at which we get to. If we were restricted by having to walk from hotel to hotel, the route would become inextricably more difficult. So we're looking at probably camper vans, that kind of thing. So the seven or eight of us who have formed the team are going to be able to kind of parking pub car parks that kind of thing get our heads down and whatever so we can then get refreshed and move back the following start again the following day what we are going to do we really want people to come and get involved with this with us come and do some of the walk with us kind of that will really give us a massive lift to our listeners with us just talking to us about the podcast asking us questions just just let us engage with you as our listeners that is something that we we're really looking forward to we will publish kind of the individual day's routes closer to the time so guys so you can figure out when we're going to be around that kind of stuff we might do barbecues in the evening we won't be drinking obviously because i don't want my gout to play up and also we'll be so tired i think that we will try and stay up for as long as we can but i think we're going to be pretty goosed so but to have you guys with us throughout the walk would be absolutely phenomenal talking of which we have got some pretty amazing people who have already committed to coming and doing some of the walk with us so just to name but a few Mark Curtin, who's the CEO of the Lord's Taverners, he did a brilliant interview with us well, a few months back now. Probably the seventh best interview we've ever done, I would think. Seventh or eighth. <laughs> for you, that, Mark. We've also got Mike Getting, David Gower, Tim Munton, who's ex-England, Luke Fletcher, Toby Tarrant, Gordon Kennedy, John Simpson from Middlesex, Matthew Hoggard, Chris Cowdery, Matt Floyd of Beaver Sky Cricket, Dan Norcross from BBC TMS, Chris Adams, ex-Sussex and England legend, and my dad. My dad, is it's his birthday on the 17th of July, which is the day that we leave Headingley to walk towards Old Trafford. So I'm really, I've spoken to him and I hope that he will either come and do both days or that day with us. I think it'd just be a really nice thing for us to do together. So I'm really excited about that. Now, Robbo talks about the organic, or the lads both talked about the organic nature of trying to raise this money. Now, We've got this lofty figure in our minds that we're never going to talk about because that's what we want to raise. But every 
single penny that people give to this is making a massive difference to the tabs and the kids and the young adults that they kind of empower through cricket. We have a number of different sponsorship options available for businesses. So what do these things, what do these sponsorships include? Now we have guaranteed Ashes tickets. We've got guaranteed tickets, four tickets per day to the first four days of every single one of the Ashes tests. You cannot buy Ashes tickets. It is impossible now to buy Ashes tickets. They are like gold dust. And we've got 16 per test. So that's a great reason to get involved. We've got four balls at Taverners Golf Days. We've got four balls at our golf day, which is going to be 18th of October at the Forest of Arden, which is an unbelievable golf course just outside Coventry. There's an Eve of Ashes dinner we've got tickets for. So that's hosted by David Gower with Michael Atherton, Ian Ward, Nasser Hussain and Mark Nicholas. Logos will be plastered across all of our clothing. We've So... The support vehicles that we've got, we've also got a company who are very kindly going to give us decals or stickers or magnetic stickers to put all over the things. So if companies, whoever our partners and sponsors are, there'll be visibility on that. We fully expect there to be some local and national media coverage. So it's a great opportunity for exposure. And if you take the top sponsorship, then you become the official slogging it main headline sponsor for the next 12 months from signing the agreement. So if you know anybody who likes helping charity, who likes cricket, who doesn't mind the three or three morons, I mean, maybe they don't even know us. Maybe don't tell, maybe don't get them to listen to the podcast, but just say what we're doing, <laughs> why we're raising money. Then please do put them in touch. If you've got your own business, then please do really consider doing this. Look, the beauty about giving stuff to charity is it's all, you can also use it as, as kind of tax relief and stuff, a charitable donation. So there really are numerous reasons for why you should really want to get involved with this and engage with it. What else do we need? We're also looking for, in terms of partners, so we really need a physio who's got the time to come and commit on the walks with us as a kind of live-in physio, if that makes sense. We're talking to a couple of companies, but if anybody knows any clothing manufacturers, who'd be happy to get involved that way. Footwear, something that we're obviously keen, we're going to need a couple of pairs of trainers each or something like that. And if anybody knows camper van people, or that kind of stuff, motorhomes, VW transporters that we can sleep in. Basically, got, we think there's going to be eight of us. We kind of need roving accommodation for eight people to complete this challenge. So, look, that's kind of where we're at. And we're really excited about it. Not, I mean, look, we're really excited about it. It's going to hurt like hell for the three of us. I don't. We're putting in training walks and this, that, and the other. And Simon and I will go out and do 15, 20 miles a weekend or whatever. And you kind of wake up feeling okay the next day. I think by the time you've done it, 25 miles four days on the trot then we'll, it will be feeling slightly different like this is going to put us through pain barrier it's really going to test our relationship as three great mates i think there'll be tears of joy at the end of it i think there'll be arguments there'll be a lot of laughter there's going to be every kind of emotion is going to be done through by the three of us while we're going through this but i think we know ultimately it'll bring us closer together it'll bring us closer to the charity but also we know how much it will do if the three of us are in a vw campus <laughs> we're going to be very close yeah. <laughs> who's going to be um, big spoon who's going to be small cheek to cheek well i'm kind of the i'm the middle one aren't i but yeah i think we know how much the good of this can do for the taverners the young people that the taverners help so super excited yeah any more any questions you've got about it it'll be info at sloganit.co.uk we will be talking about this more and more now, but yeah, any questions you've got, you want to get involved, any sponsors or potential sponsors that you want us to talk to, then please do get in touch because this is going to be, it might sound like fun. I think for a lot of it, we're not going to really think it is fun. This is going to be a real challenge for the three of us. So, but something that we're determined to do to really help those youngsters that the taverners look to, to support and help. So there we go. There will be a lot more on social media. We'll be doing kind of training videos and so on and so forth. You'll have seen a couple already. There's Simon and I certainly out roaming. Eugene didn't leave the house for three weeks, eh, because he was hung over from our birthday party and it got below like two degrees in London. So he just sat indoors, I think. But yeah, anything else to add, gents, on that? I've just got a, a, a couple of thank yous to, to the people that have already sort of agreed to help us a little bit. Uh, the company I work for, National Grid, have kindly given me the majority of the time off and have already made a couple of donations or are in the process of making a couple of donations to the tabs. Ironic, because they've actually said they'll match what I make, but if they keep giving it me up front, they have to give it me again. Yes. And thank you to all our partners and families and everyone else for agreeing to let us do this. It is 
a massive thing for us. Like Johnny says, we're out doing training walks three, four times a week at the minute. That's going to go up. So, so yeah, thank you to to the better horse, significantly better horse, really, for supporting us through this and all the rest of our families, whether they choose that they want to get involved in social media and become part of the bits and bobs. I've got my doubts. But, but yeah, a couple of thank yous from me, that's all. Cricket. let Kate know that I'm doing this walk. <laughs> just tell her it's been in the diary for weeks and she just must not have seen it. I'm just kidding. She knows about it already because she's been walking with me. Good. Oh, perfect. With the state your meniscus, we might have to drag her in. I mean, you'd be walking like a wounded buffalo. Yeah, like I'm in shock. Oh, that's what your songs would have been. Buffalo soldier. Talking about these nicknames, you've got Simon the Rhino Roberts. Yeah. Eugene the Buffalo Berger. Yeah. Jono. The Gopher Gordon. Jono the Gorilla Gordon. Oh, very good. Only because of the amount of hair that you have on your back. That's all. Nothing else. Brilliant. I mean, that's come from nowhere. Well, well, it comes from your jeans. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> it comes from all out of his jeans, he's out of his T-shirt, but, but, he's out of his socks. It comes is, from everywhere. Is, oh, I, knew it was, I knew you two would have something to say because we've not been together for a couple of weeks. So all of a sudden yeah. it's gang up on Jono time again. The listeners don't like it. I don't like it. Shut it's the just a sense up. of jealousy, Jono. I've got no hair on my head. That's all. It's <laughs> just got vertigo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eugene's five foot seven. His hair doesn't like being above five foot four. Cricket, what's been going on? Well, I can talk about the song bit if you want. Oh, England, yes. England got one? battered by Bangladesh. Yes. And that's no disrespect to Bangladesh, but England have rocked out with, well, they only played five batters. They had five batters in their squad for the series. There has been some very famous cricket commentators and They've come out basically saying they're just massively disrespecting international cricket. They've let players go and play in the Pakistan Super League and in all these other leagues instead of going to Bangladesh. I just think it's a bit disrespectful to not only to Bangladesh, but to the people who pay you money to sports channels and stuff. Like You, you don't pay to watch cricket and watch good cricket. Sky Sports, granted, pay a lot of money for rights to some of the England cricket. BT Sport pay a lot of money for the right or the rights to various different series and whatnot. BBC don't pay a lot. The dude's Gary Lineker. Gary Lineker. <laughs> he's had a good week. Well better today. He's back in. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, name and shame. Who are you talking about? I'm not I, it's I, it, who man, I'm naming people I'm saying to people at DC but I think it fundamentally needs I don't mind the players doing it. You can't sit there not on a central contract and then when someone offers you two hundred and fifty grand for six weeks work, be expected to turn it down for a to what? Sam Billings has done it. He says I've carried the drinks for England for eight years. Yeah. Well and I've been turning this stuff down, I've turned stuff down, I've turned stuff down. I've he's thirty two now. Like why would he just go and do what again? Play one game? Yeah. So what are you saying? Like, you want the ECB to Offer out unlimited central contracts? Not unlimited. No. I think there's got to be, there should be a group of central contracts per squad. Yeah. Um, I know they have kind of the, by, by per squad, I mean per format. And so, obviously, Broad and Anderson aren't going to play in the T20. I can't understand. I'll be honest, in this situation, why not? Mm. Where's Harry Brook? Oh, that's right. He's gone to go and pra- practice baseball. Where's Jason Roy? Or he's playing in the he's PSL squad everywhere in the Pakistan Super League. <laughs> I mean, these are guys that are in the T20 squad. Why are the people in the T20 squad not playing T20 cricket? I, it's not my dig isn't it, the players. I can't, especially the guys that aren't centrally contracted, because you can't have a dip at them for wanting to go and earn more money. I think there's an issue with that's now being made very clear with central contracts. Certainly from an England point of view, I, I, I'm not going to talk about it from like a New Zealand point of view. I mean, I know you chance to bring up the South Africans and that situation. But I think the ECB have got they've got a responsibility to to make sure that the product they're making people pay an ungodly amount of money for. What 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 Sky Sports at the minute? Thirty thirty pound a month, thirty five pound a month on for the average viewer. Yeah. Unless you've got a brand new deal when you pretend that you're gonna quit and they come back and tell you, Oh no, actually we'll give you a pretender. Do you? Okay. Okay, look. <laughs> you and I yeah. two weeks ago, three weeks ago we're in a room with Alex Hales. Yeah. You you spoke to him. I didn't. I don't know him. But I'm playing golf with him, actually, in a couple of months. But, and I know you say you're not, having to, you're not having to dip at the players. And I don't think you can, because if they would have approached Halesy, right, and said, we want you to come on this Bangladesh tour. He's going, 
right, well, I've been offered 180 grand for six games in the PSL, or I can go and play three games in Bangladesh and get a three, two and a half grand match fee per game. I mean, that, he, of course he's made the right decision, or he's made the decision that he's made. Some people might argue it's the wrong decision, but considering you're taking all the other factors about how he's been messed around and this, that, and the other, I'm like, fucking go for it, mate. You go and earn that money. Now, Alex has done very well out the franchise game over the last few years, but as you say, people like Sam Billings carried the drink for England for eight years. Why, why would he not go and offer, earn 120 grand in the PSL? Or J Roy must be on a central contract, or did he get he's dropped? On a, he's, got, he's on an incremental one because he doesn't play test cricket. And this is what I mean. It, this is where it's you're sitting there and well, saying this, isn't test, this isn't red ball, this is white ball. So, surely yeah, exactly. they. But that, yeah, so not, that, that is an ECB problem then, because they should be able to say to him, "No, you're coming." Yeah, well, maybe. And this is going to be this is going to sound massively unpopular. Maybe the white ball contract should be worth more than the red ball contract. But they've got to find a way of making both attractive. Like obviously with the Stokes thing and getting Livingston to turn I down think, the big bash. Yeah, to, to I come think if you're red, like, if you're like red got, ball only. Find a, if you're red ball only or white ball only, I would be surprised if they're not similar. The multi-format, the three-format one is the big ticket. That's well, no, it's like a full one. Quid. It's full. Uh, Anderson and Broad have both got, have got full ones. Have they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so a that's jack. part of me. I kind of don't actually mind that. Right? If they're saying their focus is now on test cricket and they want to try and get the best players available to play test cricket and they want to get the com- commit to county championship at the start of the year and stuff like that, for me, you've got a century contract. I mean... I don't want to sound to say that I agree with Kevin Peters on too much stuff. I think cricket is sliding in a very strange direction at the minute. And the ECB, as the reason that cricket stays afloat in this country, we all know that counties counties can't survive without the ECB. They need to start sitting there and going, we need to make some big decisions here because we're losing. Our best players aren't able to front up to our, with our product. Jason Roy's just gone out and got 150-odd, chasing down 260. Um, we we can't get 140. Yeah, like we've seen how flat the wickets are in Pakistan. And yeah, yeah, I'm, and that's different. I'm not saying, but you can, from a very if we as people that supposedly know understand pitches and understand what's going off and all this kind of stuff, you're sitting there going, well, hang on a minute, I've got granted someone that two months ago wasn't in best of form, but he's got what 300 in the last six innings. Yeah, like and you got so I'm watching that on whatever channel it's on in the Pakistan Super League, but I'm watching England here. We've got not what you'd be perceived to be their best 11. I'm not going to slag the guys off that are there because I that's not fair, but they're only getting picked. They're only playing when they're being asked to play and doing whatever job they've been asked to do. So you stand and go, why Why my Sky subscription is normally for the ECB and all this kind of stuff, and yet they're not playing. I'm not watching. I'm watching this Pakistan Super League where – Yes, it's amazing, but England are getting flogged. Do you think about what everybody's saying right now? Well, okay, no, England lost this because it's not their best side. How disrespectful is that to Bangladesh? Exactly, and that is and that is also not fair. Like by, by doing what they're doing, you look at the last one day when Josh Butler even came out and said it. He says, we haven't got... A, we were in a position where we could try around. I mean, Adil Rashid only bought four overs or whatever it was in the last... T20. Uh, uh, no, one day international. Rian Ahmed bowled a load of overs and I'm not saying it's not a good bowler I'm not saying he's not got a great potential but international cricket shouldn't be the kind of bit where you're going oh I might learn a bit here I know some people sometimes in some given situations it has to be depending on injuries and stuff like that but if you're just going well we'll pick this lad because we've sent everyone else off to earn a payday I think it's my dig isn't at any individual player can't fault them and if I was fortunate enough to be in their position, not on a central contract or a full central contract, where I could earn a third of a full central contract for two weeks' work, mm. why wouldn't you? Like you say, I don't know what match fees are now. I don't know whatever. But I don't know those that bit of information. But you ain't going to tell me they're going to earn anywhere near it. No, they're not. Now, look, far be it for me to defend the ECB, but I feel like... And it's going to take a bit of time because they're so new into their respective roles. Richard Gould and Richard Thompson have recently joined the ECB as CEO and chairman, I think. Now, they are two good men. I think they've walked into an absolute 
quagmire of shit and they're slowly going to have to unpick it because I think the previous regime has done so much damage to English cricket that's going to take a long while for them to untangle. But I think if there were two blokes who were able to do it and were could be trusted to do it, I think those guys, it's Tomo and Gordy, who are, in, who are now in the hot seats, as it were. So I think that in terms of how the game is, I am certainly, having been a huge critic of openly of the ECB over, well, certainly the three years that we've done this podcast before, I, I'm a lot more positive about how things are going to move as we move forwards. Now, I'm sure that this will be something that I'm sure, look, if we think this, then they think this, or they will have a view on it. Do you know what I mean? I think that we've got to let dead dogs lie and we've got to kind of almost look to the future and I think I, I am that with these two guys now in the two most important positions within the ECB, that things are going to change. I think you'll see a lot of moves. I think you'll see a fair few people removed from positions. And I think you'll see more different people come in. I think that one of my biggest critiques of the ECB is that we spent so long tick boxing in regards to putting people in positions in order to tick boxes across a number of different things that we've had people running the national one of the two national games that actually know nothing about cricket which cannot be a good thing that that makes people's lives impossible so but i do think that we need to just take stock a little bit and give these guys a little bit of time to kind of make the changes that they see as necessary in order to help the game get back to where it is for for cricket lovers and english cricket fans to actually have a take a bit of pride in the ecb and those running the national summer sport huge yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm probably the biggest critic of South African cricket. However, when I look at the way that they're treating the test, sorry, the ODI series between the West Indies coming up, they're actually calling all their players back from the PSL to come and play in in the South in the South African versus West Indies series. And from my perspective, I see that as a positive. Versus, I mean, I've watched most of the games when England played, and yeah, I mean, it was it was a tough watch. And would I want to watch that again if I knew? That was going to be there. Am I watching tomorrow's game? Probably not. No. How good's David Milan, by the way? Is he? Oh, well, he won what? The, he won the first game on his own. Basically, he won the first one day international on his own. He's not done a lot. Yeah, of you're talking about the one days. Yeah, totally get that. Yeah, yeah. one days. I'm talking about the T20s, all right? I mean, Jay Roy played in the one days. From my perspective, it's that's the thing I don't understand is that the people that were playing in the one day squad. Why aren't they playing in the T20s? They white ball contract. Why aren't they going play in the PSL? Yeah, David yeah. Milan. I mean, yeah. I think the thing you mentioned, and without getting too much into how cricket is run and how I do or don't feel it should be run, the thing with South Africa is it's franchise cricket. So their contracts across all of franchise cricket are held with the South African Cricket Board. So whereas on, on various different levels, and so, so they're well within their rights. I'm sure some of the centrally contracted lads, I can't quite figure it out, I can't. Honestly, the guys that aren't centrally contracted, so the likes of Alex Hales and some of the other players that we may or may not be, or the guys that are on incremental contracts. I, I don't know how it works, but like I said, I don't want to get into a whole debate on how I feel cricket should be moving forward. In, in we should be country, talking about the cricket. Yeah, and so but I think there's it, it, my only question to Jono about the two guys that you talked about: is, are they going to be allowed to make? You, you sort of said it'll get England cricket back to where it is. I think I personally think the problem is if you're looking back, you're not you're not doing the right things. And while you can learn from it, I think England is in a very delicate or, or the ECB because we do incorporate various different other bits and bobs. So so I think it's in a in, in an interesting position where I think drastic. If these two guys are all sitting there and prepared to make drastic decisions on whether it be on central contracts, whether it be on dates of play, whether it be on how the cricket is structured, then fine, I'm prepared to sit and give them all the rope that they need. My worry is, as it has been with whoever's come in, and I think, this, I'll be honest, I think the reason why they went people who don't know about cricket is to try and get them away from the old-fashioned cricket mentality, but that didn't work. The problem is always going to be that you're going to have people that are stuck in the ways about how cricket should or shouldn't be played, when it should or shouldn't be played, and we've seen with this England test thing at the minute. Everyone loves it until it doesn't quite go right. And then all of a sudden the, the old hat brigade or people who like the more traditional form of the game start going, right, well, 
No, it's rubbish, isn't it? There's not this. It's not that. It's bloody... No. Shut up. You're not going to be around to watch it in 10 years, so... I think the... Die. I think if there's anybody who can make the changes and would be willing to make changes that you talk about, then it would be these two. The things that I hear that I absolutely can't share, it would seem like there's. A, I would be surprised if some big changes and decisions weren't made. They need to get the feet under the table. They kind of give people different roles in a way in order to kind of manage them out and this, that, and the other. I mean, I played golf a couple of weeks ago. You know who this is, Simon, but I can't, we can't, won't mention his name, but a first-class umpire. And he said that they, so they went to their end-of-season umpires meeting get together type thing two days over over it was over three days but umpires went days one and two and then their kind of bosses if you like were there two and three so they had a day of crossover the umpires meetings were run by people who'd been brought into the ecb had never played cricket they all had a hockey background what what's that all about do you know what i mean so we're talking yeah this is, these are the kind of things that people wouldn't necessarily normally hear, but because of our privileged positions and knowing different people and this and the other, like you get to hear about these things. It's, it's stuff like that, that, that's fundamental stuff that needs to change because actually cricket needs to get back to being about cricket. You know, there, yes, there are people that have transferable skills and this and the other, but you need to have an idea about the role that you're going in to do. And if you've never played cricket in your life, I've no understanding of the game. But I've played a bit of hockey. So ask someone, okay, so what do you think about the LBW rule? And then they start saying, oh, well, if you think about a short corner, well, what the fuck's that got to do with anything? Do you know what I mean? But that's how, that, that is how daft it can be. And I'm sure at times will have been. So I do have a lot of faith in Richard and Richard. I think that it won't all be visible straight away. But I think in the background already, there's a lot of very good things, a lot more positive stuff going on in the background that we wouldn't, you won't normally, you won't see on the outside. But, and they do need to be given a bit of time in order to kind of make the changes that a lot of us are asking them to do. So I'd say bear with them and we'll see where we get to. Right. Next, South Africa, West Indies. South Africa, in home conditions, have turned the West Indies over twice. I think that, I mean, that South African bowling attack's just nuts. Like, Nokia, Rabada, Gerald Kassir, the karate kid. They, didn't, they only played one game. Did they? I mean, yeah. I mean, they only played the first two. Played both. And, and Rabada played KG, both. Yeah, KG played both, but Janssen stepped in. Janssen and Nokia only they played only in played the, the first, first test. One. Yeah. Um, and they, they played both, didn't they? Yeah. No, first one. No, he definitely played in the second no, one. So he got Josh out. Sorry, second one. They get the wrong way around. Yeah. I just want to bring something up, though, because we had this conversation about West In the same conversation, on the same conditions, in Australia, West Indies outplayed South Africa. Why, thank you. Moving on. I think if West Indies played South Africa in Australian conditions, the same result would have happened. Well, look, you can only compare them both against the... uh, I think in any condition, South Africa will beat the West Indies. Well, not necessarily. Well, Maybe not in rum drinking. But yeah. Look, West Indies beat <laughs> South Africa against Australia. That's all we need to know. So, well, yeah, I just think it's it, you, what you've got is one not me great refusing, side. Me refusing to back down to Eugene. That's what you've got. Well, no, you've you just got one in the West Indies and South Africa. You've got one team that aren't great in the majority of facets of the game in the West Indies. Yesterday, England last year, which, I mean, I think probably gives a pretty decent indication of how shite England were then. But then you've got South Africa, who... I'll tell Josh that he's he's Test Match 100 is worthless then, shall I? No, it's not worthless. What I'm saying is, I'm saying that I don't think they're a great side. This isn't a dig at any one individual within that team. It's just saying, as a side, I don't... Are you going to tell me they've got a world-class batting lineup? Who? Are you going to tell me that the West Indies have got a world-class batting lineup? No. Have they got a world class bowling lineup? No. No. So so what part about them isn't average? The, the keeper. They've got to keep who in one of the test matches joint obtained uh, joint record for the most dismissals. So yeah. fair play, you can grab it. But then you've got in South Africa, you've got a side that is bang average with a bat. Yeah. 
I mean, the mighty midget got 170 somehow. How? I That's how shit the bowling is. Yeah, well, but then what they have got is six very good quick bowlers. And in Harmer and Raj. The left, uh, Maharaj, they've got two decent spinners. Yeah. So it's all, it's the only way the game's going to go. The reason when they went to, when South Africa went to Australia, you got Australia, which are a very good team, especially in Australian conditions. They've just won in India as well. So that proves they're not shit there either. Yeah. And you've got South Africa with a piss poor batting lineup or a bang average batting lineup, not piss poor, they're international cricketers, they're obviously not terrible. And then a South African bowling attack that would had to, they were the one that they were their only hope in that game. And in the West Indies, you've got two West Indies bowling attack is probably a little bit better than his batting lineup when they're all fit. If you've got Gabriel Roach, the young younger lad that's coming through nicely, you've Jose. got they've got yeah, Azara Joseph, they're decent. They've got Azara Joseph should like moving forward could become a good bowler, could become a, a something that you might call world class. But that's what held him held him in Australia, and again against the batting lineup in Australia that can be shaky. I mean, you'd yeah. see him back now, and he wouldn't have said so, but. <laughs> At that point, were shaky. Like, yeah, the, their openers weren't scoring any runs. They relied so much on Labiat Le- and Smith. I hope I pronounced Smith correctly. And then at that point, Travis Head was just coming into his run of form. Carey hadn't scored many runs. Cam Green got injured, and so it was not necessarily the greatest Australia side. But they are very good in their condition. So I, I don't think it's. I think you're just probably right. If you were to play that South African side against that West Indies side in most conditions in the world, yeah, that South African side wins because it's just got a better bowling attack. It's got a better bowling attack than a lot of the countries. So, Can I, can I just point out that you guys were looking at Harmer. You said the bang average spinner. You guys were, Harmer was yeah. going to be your saviour before before Brexit and Colpac got binned. Harmer was going to be England's next best spinner. Which isn't fucking saying a lot, if we're completely <laughs> honest, is it? Yeah. I mean, Jack Leach is currently the saviour. And um, again, this isn't a dig at, at anyone, but he's not Graham. They're not Graham Swan. They're not. And let's not even go Merlitherin and, and Warren. Yeah. They're not Nathan Lyon. He's not even Ravi Ashwin. Not, they're not those types to bowl. Well, McLean's up in the county championship, then. Yeah, he did. Yeah, but again, Jack Leach takes a lot of county championship with kids. Cause... Yeah, but he bowls at Taunton. Yeah, but Harbour bowls at. Chelmsford. Essex. Where, yes, it's small, like Taunton, but they just make it bone dry. And he opens the bowling every second innings. Yeah. Right. Anyway, you both right. I'm not saying any of them are bad cricketers, by the way. That's not what I'm saying. They're just not at the same level as as some of the others. Predictions for Australia and India have gone well for me. Again, it was all looking brilliant. India 2-0 up, looking good. And then they fucked it. And then they prepared it, knowing that they need to win 3-1 to go into the World Test Championship final. If I'd prepared a flat one, what's happened there? Yeah, I know. I mean, I think they're through because of the results. I think they're through because of the result that happened between Lanka and New Zealand. We'll touch on that later. From my perspective, what's been really interesting is to see the two opposite spectrums of how they curate pitches. One that finishes in two days slash three days. And the other that I think would have lasted 15 days. Yeah. I mean, two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, ridiculous scenes. Ridiculous Which scenes. do you prefer, you? Do you know what? I'm going to be very biased, Chance. I'm preferring the New Zealand wickets at the moment. Not even South African ones, because even those have been finishing quite quickly. I mean, three and four day tests. I don't know if New Zealand pitchers and the curators in New Zealand have got it right, but I'm really enjoying longevity of a test going all the way. And I mean, England, even when there was basball and the pitches were too green and the grass was too long, the pitch stood the test of time and it went the full distance. It didn't finish in a day and a half or two days or whatever it might be. But you look everywhere else in the world at the moment, India, you're looking at South Africa, test matches are finishing within three days. So I think there's something to be learned from whatever New Zealand are doing. I don't know if it is the length of the grass or if it might be, but from my perspective, I prefer a test match that actually goes the length and now's the right time to move to the New Zealand versus Sri Lanka test. But who, which test match goes to the last ball of the day? It's just unreal. 
Yeah. No, that that was amazing. Some poor umpiring, though, again. Yeah, yeah. But umpires made it exciting. I mean, if it was, put it this way, I don't think Kane Williamson would have, he probably would have wanted to win off a wide. He wouldn't really care how he wins. But, I mean, it's not often that you can see what all results gain away into the last over. There was an opportunity for Sri Lanka to win. There was an opportunity for New Zealand to win. There was an opportunity for the draw. And up until the last ball of the game, there was an opportunity for a tie. So I've never thought of saying a tie. And I did ask you guys before, how many ties have there been in World Test Cricket before? Four. Only two have ever been won on the last ball. Just on that umpiring thing, and look, we obviously covered when England lost to New Zealand in the last one, and you were surprised, I think, at Robbo and I's reaction to it, and the fact that we weren't like, oh, this is shit and whatever. Like We were both very positive about it. In both, in that game, there should have been a wide, the ball before Jimmy was caught down the leg side, and there should have been a wide in the game, so New Zealand should have won the ball before. Now, there's no sour grapes about us losing to New Zealand at all. It's brilliant spectacle, brilliant test match. But I feel now that the water's kind of pushed under that bridge, at what point does an umpire have to make the right call rather than go, oh, this could be exciting? I think they always should. They always should make the right call, but I think umpires make mistakes. Like well, should they have do. been, so again, said first-class umpire, who I saw to play golf the other day, says that I didn't realise there were so many different levels of umpiring. So there's like elite, then international, then something else, then something else. I think there's five different levels. But he says they are critiqued to within an inch of their lives on wides, on LBW decisions, on court behinds, on this, that and the other. And they, they get properly reprimanded about it. And I think that's right. They should be because at the end of the day, that's so What happens question. to these two umpires then is what I'm asking. That's my question. Right. I don't know. I'm guessing the gentleman that you spoke to would know a little bit more about what the process is. And we've seen with umpires in the past who've got decisions started to make a regular habit of getting decisions wrong, that they do lose their positions on these panels. They are sort of manoeuvred out. You think in one of the greatest test series of all time and 2005 Ashes, Steve Buckner didn't do many games afterwards because he just kept giving Damian Martin out LBW. Well, like, okay, okay then. So, but how... Sorry to cut you off. There's not how many times then we're talking about twice in the space of a month, something that has ha- that happens once every 50 years has happened twice in the space of a month. So I, the, it's, it's a very out of the ordinary thing for this and, to happen once. Like, yeah. And I'm sure it'll be looked at. I'm sure that there, those decisions will be looked at by the ICC umpiring, whatever it is, the hierarchy that's, that will sit there and go, those guys will get their percentages at the end of the game. They'll sit there and as many stats as players get, umpires get just as in terms of accuracy of decision, speed of decision, everything. So the thing for me is if you look at during those two tests, and I don't know this, but there was a stat a while ago that following the introduction of DRS, excuse me, an umpire's the on average, an umpire got sort of was around between ninety five and ninety seven percent correct which is a fucking hell of a rate. And granted, some of those are very easy decisions, some of those, but that's only like players. If you think, if a, that's, if a player faces 100 balls, he's going to make three false shots, which I'd be pretty certain most of the players do. It depends who you're talking about. Well, yeah, but, and it also determines how you determine a false shot, how you, like, there's so many different things that go into it. But if you look, they're getting such a high percent correct at that level. It's not like we're not talking about club level we're talking about that's why they are on the elite panels so if those umpires if they got the problem is with the way that it's being spoken about they got if they made it they got could have got 99.9 percent of decisions in that test spot on but because in people's opinion they got those wrong mm. and a lot of people's opinions will say that they got it wrong unfortunately the one bloke that it mattered with didn't agree and that's the nature of cricket. And that, for me, is where, yeah, you can have a look afterwards and go, oh, looking back, would you do that again? Let's have a look at that from side angle. The other thing that with cricket umpires is you get one look. And yes, yeah. they've made it easier on them now by not having to do the no-ball situation. But they get, what, 0.4 of a second to go from... About four seconds if I'm bowling. Well, yeah, and then all have to look behind them. You're a dickhead. But you're thinking, these guys have got 0.4 of a second give or take, obviously it's a bit different when the spinners are bowling, to go, where's it bounced? What's it done? Where's the guy let it go from? So he's got, they've got to still, despite the fact they're not looking at the front line, they've still got to 
kind of figure out, right, what's he bowling? Is, he, is it Mitchell Stark bowling left arm round, Trent Bolt bowling left arm round? Is it Joffre Archin bowling close to the stumps? Is it what's going off? What's the angle of that ball? Where's it bouncing? Which way is it moving? Where's it hit him? Has it hit him? Has he hit it? Has he caught it? Has it hit the stumps? Is it going to hit the stumps? Like you think of the, the process that they've got to go through. And I know batting's hard when people, and the ball's coming at you when batting's hard, like in that situation. But these umpires are sitting there, make so many little decisions that if they even broke those stats down further into each one of those decisions that they've had to make, like that percentage is going to go up and up. So you're talking about two umpires that, or it might be the same umpire, I've got no idea, that have got one part one very small fraction of one decision wrong. Just think, which is why I hate it. I hate the thought in football when people blame rep officials. I hate the thought in cricket when people. It was definitely a red fight. card, though. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think he was definitely had a man on. But so for me, yeah, yes, it should be looked at. Yes, there should be something. I don't. Is he talking about the Casemiro one? I missed it. I'm, I didn't. Yeah, I am. I am. I am. I am. I am yeah, sorry. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> I've not seen it either. I've just got a mate that every time you talk about sport to him, he just sits there and goes, man on. <laughs> right. that's, that's not the England. We're not talking about England, France here, Robert. Sorry, I had to squeeze that in. Gentlemen, look, we've covered a lot this evening. We've already overrun on time because Eugene keeps going, 45 minutes, 45 minutes, 45 minutes. And we've gone way comfortably over that. But we did have a big announcement to make, didn't we? So, look, we shall leave it there for this evening. Thank you, as always, to my two glorious assistants, Eugene, the Buffalo Berger, Simon, the Rhino Roberts. This is Jono, the Gorilla Gordon, signing off for another week. This has been Slogging It. Slog on. Classic electorate. Sports Social Podcast Network.